If you're an agreeable person and you have a particularly disagreeable partner, you're also going to run into problems because the agreeable person will say whatever you want, whenever, and the agreeable per a disagreeable person will say, well, I'd like to know what the hell you want for a change and be much more harsh and much more demanding in the situation. And the agreeable person is going to find the disagreeable person harsh and unpleasant. And the disagreeable person is going to find the agreeable person wishy-washy and unable to stand up for themselves. And again, that's, a, that's actually one of the primary sources of tension between men and women, because women tend to be higher in agreeableness than men. It's about half a standard deviation, which is quite, quite a large difference by psychological standards. And so what, it, what, that means, what that means fundamentally, just so you have some sense of how large a, uh, uh, an effect that is, is that if you have a group of men and women and you pick out random pairs, the woman is going to be more agreeable than the man 60% of the time. So that's not an overwhelming proportion, but it's reliable and it's quite, it's quite large by psychological standards. So th there's the problem with agreeableness. Some of you have had roommates, and maybe you're more orderly than your roommate. What does it mean? It means you're annoyed by mess before they are. And you don't have to be annoyed by mess much before your less orderly roommate for you to be the one that's always running around picking things up. And so actually, one of the things that's emerged from the psychometric analysis is that women are slightly more orderly than men. And I suspect that has something to do with the, un, what would you call it, inequitable distribution of housework. Because even if you're, imagine that your proclivity is to be triggered by disorder 25 seconds before your partner's. Well, you're going to end up, it doesn't take much difference for you to be the one that's always concerned about the mess first. So anyways, and so if you're a really orderly person and you live with a disorderly person, well, good luck getting along with them. They're going to regard you as like uptight and over-concerned with details and, and, well, and unwilling to relax, that's for sure. And they're going to regard you as, well, just a bloody mess. And how can anyone possibly live with someone like you? So another reason why it's useful to understand your personality is because I think it gives you a better crack at finding someone that you can actually live with over the long run. And we don't know what the optimal... I don't think you want to live with someone who's exactly like you because then both of you have the same strengths and weaknesses. And there's a bit of a problem there, right? Because maybe an agreeable person can use a bit of a disagreeable person around them to balance each other out and vice versa, right? So we don't understand the optimal balance for long-term thriving in a relationship. But I think we do understand the fact that if you're too different in your traits, where you're different is going to constitute a chronic source of conflict. Here's the key to a good relationship. It's not the only one, but... Watch your person carefully, carefully, carefully. And whenever they do something that you would like them to do more of, tell them that that was really good and mean it. And it's not manipulative because if it's manipulative, it won't work. It's like you have to say, wow, I'm so glad you did that. And you have to be precise. Here's what you just did that I thought was great. And Oh boy, that's so nice that you noticed. I can't believe that you noticed. It's like, you know, you do that 20 times and the person will be, like the rat that's just pushing the lever for cocaine, you know. So, but no, I'm serious. It's, it's, it's Skinner established this. B.F. Skinner noticed this a long time ago. Reward is intensely uh, useful in terms of modifying behavior. You can establish the ground rules explicitly and have a discussion about it. Are we going to lie to each other or not? Are we going to tell each other the truth to the degree that we can to make that an actual goal and to talk through the consequences of doing that and not doing it? And then I would also say, Whenever a hiccup occurs in the relationship, maybe you don't call it out at each hiccup, you know, because you have to 
have a certain amount of silent tolerance in any relationship to let small infractions go. But if they repeat, my rule is three times. And it's the rule that we, I share with my wife. If something happens three times that is causing emotional upset, anger, jealousy, disappointment, resentment, frustration, any of those things, anything that you don't want to experience and that you especially don't want to experience repeatedly, then you can call it out. And if you, if you have three examples, your case is much better made than if you just have one. I would also say that when you call it out, you know, you could say, look, uh, we were at a party the other night and you were, it looked to me, I felt as if you were paying too much intense intent attention to um, Dave. Flirting going on there. That's what it looked like to me. There was some flirting going on there. And, you know, that made me uncomfortable. You don't say, well, you were flirting. Stop doing it. You say, well, this is how it looked. This is what it looked like to me. And here was my response. And then you want to think, and maybe I'm a damn fool and blind and jealous and stupid, and I'm misinterpreting, or maybe it was a harmless flirtation of the sort that people will engage in because it adds a little bit of spice to a social interaction. You want to find out. It's really convenient if it's the other person's fault, except then you're laden with living with that person, so it really doesn't help you anyways. But it's convenient because then they have to change. But you've got to think about this over the long run. You're going to be interacting with this person on a minute-by-minute basis for decades. Um, if you're the idiot and that's causing trouble, then you should find out. So you want to say, well, look, this is what I saw. What's your explanation of what's going on? And then they'll offer you their viewpoint and hopefully they'll do the same thing. They'll think, well, this is my intent. And maybe they have to go think about it, but this is my intent and this is what I saw. And I think you're being oversensitive um, in that situation. And you peel back the explanations layer by layer until you both agree on what happened and more importantly, on what you're going to do about it in the future. And that's really hard. And you have to come to a negotiated agreement about about that situation. And you have to pay attention to your own uncomfortable negative emotions in order to manage that and not and not pretend that everything's all right or that you're nicer than you are or that you're less jealous than you are or or less blind or I don't think competition between people who are in a monogamous relationship is useful, particularly. It's not zero-sum competition. I mean, you can compete in a game-like sense, not existential competition. (laughs) You're on the same team. That's the point. You know, and if one of you is feeling left behind for one reason or another, it's it's time to throw that out on the table and say, look, I'm, I'm playing second fiddle here far too often. What can we do about that? Well, it looks like you need to And like, I've got an adventure. It looks like you need one too. Well, how can we rearrange the situation so I have my adventure? And then it's up to that person too to figure out what obstacles they might be putting up in their own pathway, right? That's stopping them. And then they have, you know, they're angry at you for getting in the way, but it's actually a consequence of them using you as a convenient excuse for not doing something difficult. Those things all have to be sorted through. It's very hard. These conversations are extremely difficult. It's no wonder people avoid them. I also think people are not taught to negotiate at all. They, they, and that's a, that's a real shame. First of all, you figure out what you want. This is what I want. Then you tell the person. Then you strategize with them so that you can get what you want and they can get what they want and you both know what that is and away you go together. That, that usually comes out. It's usually obscured and hidden and, and comes out awkwardly in difficulty and, and with difficulty if it comes out at all. 
and people fool themselves into thinking that it's okay what they're doing. I'm sacrificing myself for the children and that's okay. I'm sacrificing myself for my husband's career and that's okay. I'm working at a job I can't stand because I need to support my wife and children and that's okay. I mean, sometimes that is okay, but it has to be out, clear, in the open, talked about, negotiated, discussed. You know, I think there's, you can be a slave or a tyrant or you can negotiate. Those are your options. And we default to slavery and tyranny because that doesn't require any cognitive effort. And then we pretend that everything's all right. And then it blows up in our faces and we end up divorced. Life is suffering. Right. Indisputable. What do you do about that? You, you voluntarily accept it and then strive to overcome the suffering that's a consequence of that. And you do that for you and you do that in a way that makes it better for other people. And then that works. And one question might be, well, how well does it work? And the answer is, the only way that you can find out is by trying it. That's it. That's the existential element of it. The proof is to be derived by the incarnation of the attitude in your own life. No one can tell you how it will work for you. It's the thing that your destiny is to discover that. You have to make the decisions to begin with. It's like, because you can't do this without commitment. You have to commit to it first. That's the act of faith that that Kierkegaard was so insistent upon. You have to say, I'm going to act as if being is good. I'm going to act as if truth is the pathway to enlightenment. I'm going to act as if I should pursue the deepest meaning possible in my life. And there's, there's reasons to do none of those. They're real reasons. So it's really a decision. But you, you can't find out what the consequence of the decision is unless you make the decision. When you're 25, you can be an idiot. It's no problem. Even when you're out in a job search, it's like, well, you don't have any experience and you're kind of clueless. It's, yeah, yeah, you're young. You know, it's no problem. We can, that's what young people are like, but they're full of potential. Okay, well, now you're the same person at 30. It's like, people aren't so thrilled about you at that point. It's like, what the hell have you been doing for the last 10 years? Well, I'm just as clueless as I was when I was 22. It's, yeah, but you're not 22. You're an old infant, right? And that's an ugly thing, an old infant. So part of the reason you choose your damn sacrifice because the sacrifice is inevitable, but at least you get to choose it. And then there's something that's, that's even more complex than that in some sense is that the problem with being a child is that all you are is potential and it's really low resolution. You could be anything, but you're not anything. So then you go and you adopt an apprenticeship, roughly speaking, and then you become, at least you become something. And when you're something, that makes the world open up to you again. You know, like if you're a really good plumber, then you end up being far more than a plumber, right? You end up being a good employer. You know, if you're a really good plumber, well, then you have some employees, you run a business, you, 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 make, you, you train some other people, you enlarge their lives, you're kind of a pillar of the community, you, you have your family. Once you pass through that narrow training period, which narrows you and constricts you and develops you at the same time, then you can come out the other end with a bunch of new possibility at, hell, at hand. And Jung talked about that. He thought that the proper path of development in the last half of life was to rediscover the child that you left behind as you were apprenticing. And so then you get to be something and regain that potential at the same time. Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA, get a quote today. Uh. 
the sizzle of McDonald's sausage. It's enough to make you crave your favorite breakfasts. Enough to head over to McDonald's. Enough to make you really wish this commercial were scratch and sniff. And if you're a sausage person, now get two satisfyingly savory sausage McGriddles, sausage biscuits, or sausage burritos for just $3.33. Or mix and match. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.